Well, I'd like to start today on a personal note, because today is significant. Not only that I get to share with you today, but also because 20 years ago, on September 3rd, 1989, was a special day in my life. It was the first Sunday that I attended Wyzetta Free Church as a staff member. So officially, this Sunday begins my 21st year of being at Wyzetta Free Church. So, thank you. And I always tell people when they talk about how long I've been here that that longevity says as much if not more about the church and the support that you've given to the pastoral staff and, and to me personally as it does about my ability to, to stay somewhere. And uh, I don't know why God has had me here for 20 years, but uh, it seems like he wants me to continue to be here for at least a while. And, uh, and I just want to um, say how honored I am and thank you for the, the opportunity to serve and share and challenge and, and learn with you for the last 20 years. And today I'm excited to share with you again. So let's pray, please. Lord, you are an awesome God, and uh, you are a faithful God, and have been that way through history. I just thank you for all that you do for us. I pray that you would show us who you are this morning. Give us insight into how we can love each other and love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, several months ago I had the opportunity to hear Scott McKnight speak. And Scott is one of my favorite speakers. He was formerly a professor at Trinity University in Chicago, and now is a um, professor at North Park in, is what, in Chicago as well. And what I like about Scott is he has a great insight into how the world works and, right, and the issues of today, and yet he's a person that has a deep, deep passion for the Bible. And so I picked up his book called Blue Parakeet, and so much of what you hear today was based on what he talks about in the Blue Parakeet. Basically, in Blue Parakeet, he talks about the fact that the Bible is the story of God. It's the story of God's creating us and the relation, pursuing relationships with us. It continues, he challenges us in how we, we read the Bible and, and understand what God has been doing and continues to do in all of our lives. And I want to pick up that story of, of God and how he relates to us uh, in Genesis 1 today, right in the beginning, and look at a concept called oneness. And so if you have your few Bibles at all, if you'd like to look those up, we're starting on page 2 in Genesis 1. Verse 26. And we're going to look at the fact that I believe that God designed people for oneness. And look at that concept this morning. So Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we jump down to Genesis 2, it expands on our information about that creation. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And Scott McKnight then takes that and says, So then God split the atom. Get it? Split the atom? Yeah, I liked it. I think he liked it as well. So um, He split the atom because what happens is we're not going to get a lot into the Trinity this morning, but the Bible tells us that God is a triune God. And there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one Godhead. And there's kind of that balance of community and oneness all at the same time. And God created people in his image. And so he created Adam and created and said, I, I want Adam to have the community that we have as, a, as the Godhead. And so I'm going to split that Adam and bring him back together um, with Eve in, in marriage and oneness. And so if we see that, uh, jump down to verse 24 in Genesis 2. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And so God designed us for oneness, but he wants us to have community. And so he split that Adam, brought Adam and Eve back together to become one flesh through the marriage. In verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We'll talk about that nakedness and how we, we, need, we oftentimes clothe ourselves as we go uh, today as well. But I think in this passage we see oneness in four different ways. We see God and Adam and Eve having oneness with God. They were created to have a relationship with him. They were created in his image and, and to have community, just like God has community. And so relationship with God, but community with other people. And so God said it's not great for Adam to be alone, so we're going to create Eve and have a community with them. So oneness with each other. They also, in verse 25, the man and woman and his wife were both naked and felt no shame, I think has a oneness, points to a oneness with ourselves. Adam and Eve had an authenticity that they were not embarrassed by who they were. They knew who they were, and they saw each other, and they were, were, um, had a oneness with that. And then clearly in the, in the creation, there's a oneness with creation, oneness with the world around them. So there's, there's four different avenues of oneness there. And by oneness, I mean more than unity. It's more of a perspective that says we are all the same team. You are part of who I am and I'm part of who you are and, and what makes you happy or sad makes me happy or sad. And, and it's kind of that perspective of being one and, and connected. And it brings a very special singular reality called oneness. So here's the deal. This morning I'm going to talk about the fact that God created the world. And the problem with illustrating God creating the world is that's kind of a big idea. So I, cre- so I had this box that I would like to re- you to imagine represents God's creation this morning. So we went with gold because, you know, it's royalty and God's that way and it's got a nice bow and that kind of thing. So this is God's creation. This is everything he created. And he said, this is what you need. This is all you need. This is abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And, and all I'm asking of you to do is not to eat from this tree. And so the tree, rep- the tree and the apple represent, it's a red box because, you know, the apple's red. And so we went with red. But I was hesitant about going to the red box because red box now means videos. Very good. Yes. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If every time people from church go, hundreds of people that hear me this morning, go to the red box and think about my illustration, well, that's not all a bad thing. So we have a red box this morning that doesn't represent videos, but it represents the tree of life that um, God put in the, in the garden and said, this is what you can experience. This is all that you need. And I'm, but I just, I just ask you not to do that. Because what happens is God could have easily created a world and said, this is what you get and this is all you get and you have to do that. And we would be robots because we don't have a choice to follow God at all. And so what God said is, I want a relationship with you, and so I'm giving you a choice to choose me and my abundance or to, to make choices based on that limitation and moving beyond that. And so what happens in the story is Satan comes along, and he says, you know, that thing over there, God doesn't want you to eat that because you're going to be more like him. So I understand that he said this is abundance and good for you, but that really gives you more, more wisdom, more insight, more of what you need. That's really what you need. And so we pick up the story, and we look at beyond the fact that people are designed for oneness, I think we create through our sin, we create otherness. And if we jump down to Genesis 3, starting in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you see what happens through that choice? The oneness of their relationship, or the oneness of their self, sorry, um, is destroyed. Suddenly they look at themselves and go, ooh, there's something wrong with me. I need to cover this up. And they certainly did that with clothing. I think we do that with fear today. I think we do that with inauthenticity. We, we are, what would it be like if people really saw us how we are? So we have to cover up. And I think that sin and that action of disobeying God um, led to the oneness of, of themselves being destroyed and replaced with otherness with themselves. We continue the story in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he, they hid from, God, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you see what happens there? The oneness that they had with God is destroyed. Because before, when they were living in this oneness, they were walking around with God. And, and I'm not sure how that works. It's a, that's another theological uh, message for another day. But God comes and he says, um, I, you know, where are you? And they go, well, I, I hid because our oneness with God has been replaced with otherness. And we see God in an otherness sort of way. Continuing on, verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit with the tree and I ate it. Do you see what happens? She did it. It's her fault. So now we've had the oneness of ourself replaced with, now I have to cover my, myself because I'm, I'm embarrassed by that. We've had the oneness of God replaced with otherness of God. I'm hiding from who God, where God is. And now we see, um, not only that, is the one, it destroys the oneness of others. She did it. It's her fault. I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm not to blame here. When clearly from the story, Adam was right in line with that deal. So, uh, you know, there's lots of discussion about where Adam was. It, the story clearly says Adam was right there, taking eating that. And so then the re- initial response goes beyond from the oneness that we were designed to to the otherness that we, were create, that we created through sin. Then God lays out consequences for their action and identifies um, struggles they will have because of their choices. And we pick up the story in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, God didn't want them to live in the brokenness of otherness for the rest of the time. And so he banished them from the creation. And so we see the brokenness and the otherness in relation to God, in relation to themselves, in relation to others, and even in the the relationship to the world and um, what happened. And so what's the reality of otherness? The reality of otherness is we're separated by sin, and we oftentimes pursue ourselves as God. And we choose to replace what God said is good and enough and abundant for you with that thing over there. Because oftentimes we come and go, God, I understand that you want me to be this way, but, you know, I understand the value of a spouse, and I'm supposed to, you know, honor my, my wife and love her, and but... That person over there kind of gets, you know, 
is appealing. Maybe wears some tighter clothes, maybe has is funnier. I, I kind of like that thing over there. I think even with the Randalls this morning, you can look at the Randalls are here and God is saying, I want you to go to Turkey to share with some other people. They easily could respond, that's a great idea, but that's crazy talk. I, how am I going to get money? I have to rely on people for money. I don't have somebody rent my house. Look at all the trauma I have. Why don't I just stay over there when you want me over here? I think God oftentimes in his word says you need to serve and, and forgive and be humble. Well, how am I going to be a big deal if I'm serving and humble? How will people know I'm significant? What if I just add in a couple things over there? And it's not like I'm rejecting God necessarily, but I, I just have a little better, you know, it's just a little more expanse of who I am and what I want to be. And I think we repeatedly have an otherness conversation with God where it says, I understand what you, what you want for me, but I kind of have this other idea. And I, you know, I understand that long term it feels like I'm getting beat up and sin and pain, but the way to deal with that beat up and sin and pain is kind of really this thing over here. And I understand that you want me here, but it really is more about that. I think we have a, the reality of otherness with others is you did it. I'm blaming you. Because you know what? You people are... You do some funky things. And now I, my reality, instead of oneness with you, is otherness, and I'm going to blame you for it. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how that's possible? And we compete for priority. I have to be the important one, not you being an important one or us being important together. For several years, I went down with the youth group to Chicago, and we would um, do a carnival. And what, what we did is we took these barriers like this. And we would put up barriers along the, the street because we'd close off the street for the carnival. And so this side of the street, we had to leave open for emergency vehicles. If an ambulance or a policeman or something had to come through. And so we put up these barriers. And on this side, it's safe to drive. It's, that's what you're supposed to do. On this side, it's people and playing and carnival and kids. And so you, you can't come over here if you're a car. And don't go over there if you're a person. That's going to be bad. And so we set up a barrier that says that's different than us. That's a different situation on that side than it is on this side. And I think so often in our otherness life, we set up barriers and we say, yeah, I, I'm a friend of yours, but, you know, you have different political views than I do. So you can't really be a part of who I am. You grew up differently than I do. You have different values. Or you look good, but you, do you know how much you hurt me last year or 10 years ago or when we were kids or, and we have these barriers in our life because we continue to choose the otherness Versus the oneness. One of the struggles that I have in my own life is, um, is, the, is the reality of I told you so. If you've done the Strength Finder or heard us talking about the Strength Finder assessment at all, one of my strengths is harmony. And harmony really has a sense of you understand both sides of an argument. And so when I'm in an argument or a disagreement, I, I oftentimes have A, that this is my belief, and someone else will have B, that's their belief, and that it disagrees. And the conversation will often go like this, where I go, no, I, I, I think A is pretty true. And they go, really? No, I, I really think it's B. And I go, really? How is that possible? Because A sure seems like it's right. And they go, B? No, B should be the right one. So part of the harmony dynamic in my life is I'm not going to argue that because I don't really have a way to prove that. And so I, I say, okay, well, maybe we'll have to disagree. And what happens is I'm really good at locking that away in my memory. Because a day later, a couple hours later, maybe a couple weeks later, 
maybe several months later, it comes out that A is really true. Well, I have a couple choices to make. I could, one option, is with a oneness perspective, say, yeah, I was right and they were wrong, and what difference does it make? Because we're together. We're, that perspective is we're united and we're a team. Or I have door number two. You know, I, I was really right there. I told you so. And I think that's a constant struggle in my own life to say, am I choosing oneness where I'm going to say, you know, we're on the same team, by, you know, but my temptation is I'll just say it one more time. If I just point it out so that person knows that I was right, then it doesn't have to be a big deal. And I have an incredible memory. I can't memorize verses very well. I don't remember books I read. But I remember times when I was right and when we disagreed. I have instant recall on that. And I think it's a sin, part of my sin, that just ramps that up, that says, oh, yeah? And they go, yeah, that's not what I said. You bet it is. I can tell you who was standing there, who said that, how that is. And I don't know if that's part of my sin nature. I don't know what the deal is. But that's really a struggle for me. Because what does that do? It says, I could be humble, serve you, love you, see that you are one with me and have relationships. And I would really like to do that. And I seek to do that, and I work to do that. But as many times as not, I go, yeah, but I feel kind of good being right. And what that does is that throws that barrier up. And it doesn't mean we can't have a relationship. It doesn't mean that we can't be connected. But it does mean there's a problem there. And if all my relationships with you are based on, well, you know what you did to me? And again, that could be two days ago, ten years ago. It doesn't matter. That barrier is there because we're choosing sin. We're choosing the self-promotion. We're choosing otherness. And we joke about that, but the reality is that's a scary thing because we choose otherness all the time, and we were designed for oneness. And this can happen with our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, with neighbors. You know, again, people with different political views, people with different backgrounds, you name it. We can say, yeah, but that's, that's not the way it works. And then with um, what does one otherness look like with ourselves? I think it struggles with value. We say, well, I have to clothe myself. I can't be authentic with you because if you knew who I was, you would not like that. And so instead of other, oneness where we come together and we say, this is who I am, we choose otherness. Because let's face it, I'm a short, bald, chubby guy doing sermons with traffic signs. What kind of a reality is that for people? I have to pretend, you know, I'm no Chuck Swindoll, but, you know, let's, I can do, be more sophisticated and, or I can be myself and say, I think this is something God is teaching me that oneness and otherness are a huge struggle for us. And we make choices each and every day of saying, am I going to live oneness or am I going to live otherness? Even with the world around us, I, you know, I'm not huge into the whole green movement or the recycling or whatever, but I try to do my part. And I think there's, um, I haven't developed a huge theology on this or anything, but I do think there's, God is moving in some of that world stuff where he's renewing that, that oneness with us and saying, hey, maybe this is part of, you know, God clearly puts us in charge of the world and says, you know, use that and be a part of that. And we've just been da- damaging it. And we just take advantage of the things because it's easier. It's easier to do it that way. And I think God is kind of raising up some of that um, in the world and, and helping us to realize the reality of otherness even in our world. So if we're designed for oneness, but we've created otherness through our sin, where do we go with that? And I think the third thing is the search for oneness. 
Again, if the Bible is God's story of how he relates to us in the history that's there, we are at Genesis 3, and it's screwed up already. And you know what? Most of the churches like ours and most Christians and things that are excited about Jesus and celebrate you know, communion and all that stuff oftentimes jump from Genesis 3 to Matthew. Because Jesus shows up in Matthew. So we have Genesis 3 to Matthew, and we just skip over the rest. Well, there are hundreds of pages of the Bible that are between Genesis 3 and Matthew. There are hundreds of years between Genesis 3 and Matthew. So why doesn't God show up with, with Matthew immediately in Genesis 4? I don't know. Except that if we look at that span, I think God allowed us to search for oneness. And we see that through, uh, repeatedly, there's a covenant that God comes. And he comes to the people of Israel and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you will serve me and I will love you. And because through your, the country of Israel, because of your message to other people, people will be drawn to me, they will celebrate, and oneness will be accomplished. And I think Israel went, that's a great idea. And we'll serve you, God, and you will be your people. And when people um, see us and come to, and they'll come to you and glorify you. And then Israel walks along and goes, but there's this other option over here. What if we're kind of a big deal? That, that sounds like more fun. What if we just have a few idols? I mean, we, we'll still worship you, but we've got some idols over there that are kind of fun as well. So why don't we choose that? And so they're continually through the Old Testament. God continues to allow them to search for oneness, and they continue to fall. One of the best stories I like of that is Daniel. Daniel is at the, comes along. He's one of the young leaders of the Jewish people, but he's not even in Israel anymore because Israel has been taken over by another country. They're in another country. And Daniel comes along and he says, I am worshiping and serving God. This is who I am. This is what I want. This is my life. And the king comes along and goes, that's great, Daniel, but I'd really like to be God. So I need you to do this thing over here. And Daniel goes, yeah, I understand. I see where you're significant, you're a big deal, and that you want to be God, and so I'm, I'm going to do this. And the king goes, well, Daniel, that's not really an option, because I am kind of a big deal, and I'm God, and I need you to do this. And Daniel goes, yeah, I get it. I see where you're coming from, and that's why I'm choosing this. And the king says, Daniel, if you don't choose that, you're going to die. And Daniel goes, yeah, that's a scary thing. That's why I'm choosing this. And so the king comes along and goes, no, you don't understand. This is going to take, I'm going to take your life if you do not do this. And he goes, yeah, that's why I'm following this. And when, when Daniel is uh, miraculously saved, the king comes and goes, Daniel, now I realize it's really your God who's the great one. And I think throughout that was God's intention for Israel to lead people to glorify him. I think that's his intention for us. From day, on a day-to-day basis, people see us and come to him. And so if we look at that, we, we see a whole Old Testament of searching for oneness, and it just falls short. And so the next thing I think is oneness is restored through Jesus. We get to Matthew, Jesus comes along, says, I'm, I'm God's son, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you, to be rose again, to rise again, to be rose again, to rise again, and, and to make it possible for oneness to be restored. Because Jesus gives us that power and that ability and the opportunity to create that oneness again. And clearly that oneness will not be completely returned until he comes back at the end times, but he gives us that opportunity. And we see verses that look like um, 
As we look at the relationship of God, we see verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It makes oneness possible because he can purify us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's what we're talking about here. The point is, God wants a relationship with us so much that he made it possible for Jesus to come, die, raise again, so that we can have oneness. And he makes it possible that we can take care of all this. What's that look like for a relationship with others? Jesus came along, talked to prostitutes and sinners and the least of these people in their culture, and said, I love you. And they go, yeah, but you don't know who I am. And he goes, sure I do. But I want you to have oneness with me and with each other. And they go, yeah, but I've lived over there, and I'm really bad. He goes, yeah, I, I know that. I'm making it possible for you to have oneness with God, with each other. And I think sometimes we get really good at saying, I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to want this. And God, you're really important to me, and whatever. And then we turn to relationships with other people and go, you know what, let me tell you how good God is. But I'm going to keep this barrier. Because you hurt me. Because you're not good enough. And Jesus never did that. Jesus came and said, there is no barrier. You have to come and let me take all that sin and that barrier away to make it possible to have oneness. I think that's why I titled titled this sermon this morning, One Life to Live. Not like one as opposed to two, uh, but one as in the life you're living. What if we made that a oneness life? What if our goal was to return and have that oneness restored through Jesus in our heart? Oneness with God, oneness with other people, oneness with ourselves, oneness with the world around us. Because we see some of that in Acts, in Acts 2. Jesus is risen again. He's gone up into heaven. He says, it's good for me to go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. There's all sorts of powerful, cool stuff. And we get to the story in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Does that sound like oneness somewhere? Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone that he had in need. I think the oneness screams out of that. Because if I've got money and things that I can help other people... I think the oneness perspective is, let me help you. The problem with that is that if we don't have a oneness perspective with myself, I think oftentimes myself gets in the way. It says, well, yeah, great, I have all these resources, but if I give them away, what am I going to have? I, I, I need to keep some of that. And I think God is saying, you know what, I'm providing for you. I have, will give you everything in abundance of what you need. And I think that screams both oneness in self, that they were comfortable investing in each other, and then oneness in each other, that they were actually doing that. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, we're back to that seeking oneness. If they're living like this and saying, I have oneness in God and I'm celebrating that, I have oneness in each other that I'm giving away my stuff because I have oneness in myself that I'm comfortable enough that God's provision that I don't have to worry about with that kind of stuff. And he tells me I'm supposed to love other people, so I'm loving them with my stuff. 
and I'm loving with my time, and I'm loving with my investment. That sounds like oneness. That sounds like living one life. You have one life to live, and they were carrying that out. So what does oneness look like? I think it looks like relying on the Holy Spirit. I think it it allows God to remove these barriers. Because some of these barriers are so big and hefty that we're just never going to get on. We can't do it ourselves, even though we try. I can try really hard not to say I told you so. But God's got to, at some point, draw me to that oneness. I've got to allow God to say, God, it's your priority, not this thing over here. Because really, all it is is me choosing the red box again by saying, yeah, I told you so. I'm going to choose that one. I think we've got to deal with our sin. Deal with the times that we say, God, I, I don't want you here. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. I think we need to understand that we're a body of Christ. The, I love the ish, illustration of the body of Christ because the, the Bible says we're like a body. And, and some people, you're not a hand. Well, get, we got another hand that makes up the body. And if you're not a foot, well, we got a foot over here. And who's the head? Because I need a head. And so together we become a body. You see the oneness theme in there? Oneness tying together? I wrote in my notes, allow God to, and then I just left it blank. Because I think God will speak to each of us and say, whether it's I told you so, whether it's relationships that you shouldn't be involved in, whether it's you know choosing that over there, whatever the case is. Oneness is about letting God come into your life. And we're starting a series on relational healing next week that Kevin will do that I think will continue to challenge us in how do we seek that oneness? What's it look like? And I just have two verses in conclusion, or two passages. One's more than one verse. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all one in Jesus Christ. Again, you see the oneness there? The oneness of myself saying, it's not about me being a Jew or a Greek or a male or female or slave or free. It's not about that. It's about God. Serving him, loving him, celebrating the fact that Jesus died for us. And then in verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has always been about relationships. He created the opportunity for us to be reconciled over us so that we can be reconciled to others. It's not just about us having a relationship with God. It's about us being one with you, one with ourselves, one with the world we live in. Because we have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting sin, men's sins against them. So not, he's taking care of this for us if we allow him that opportunity. Sorry, I get excited and then I lose my spot. Not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are the messengers of reconciliation. We are the ones, like Israel, that was supposed to say, we're living so in oneness with God and ourselves and other people in the world we live in, that we're going to go tell other people about that. That people are going to see that in our lives and go, that's freaky, because they're not choosing the red box. They're doing some servant, humble, loving your neighbor thing over here. What's the deal? You're not intimidated by the fact that you're a short, bald, 
sermon guy with traffic signs. It doesn't matter because this is who God created me to be. And so we see that through that message of reconciliation. And verse 20 then, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took Jesus and said, "You, Jesus, I need you to take care of that sin. Because otherwise, this whole barrier thing and this whole red box thing isn't going anywhere. But God made took care of that on Christ's behalf. said, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think otherness and oneness is a huge perspective. I think it's a huge challenge in a church, in a world, in our personal lives, in our relationships. Because if we live with otherness, if we live, yeah, God, I know you want this, but I really kind of like some of these things. We're always going to face brokenness. We're always going to face separation. We're always going to have barriers in our life. And I think it's a daily choice of us saying, God, I want oneness enough that I'm not going to say I told you so. But I need your help to do that. I need your help to grow beyond that. To have oneness with God. Oneness with others. Oneness with myself. That I don't have to be embarrassed about who I am. And oneness with the world I live in. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just praise you that you are a God who is one. Who has community. Who wants relationship. Lord, we need so much help figuring that out. Because it's so easy for us to just choose ourselves. For us to be God, rejecting you for something that we think, think is better. So Lord, as we go today, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and how to do that. Allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts in amazing, miraculous ways. Lord, help us with those barriers. Identify those in our lives. Help us to turn them over to you. And allow your Spirit to do mighty, mighty things in creating oneness. In your name we pray. Amen.